Hey, it's Ben. I'm giving a shout out to the people asking us questions on Twitter for our consideration. We've been trying to get back to you as best we can, and I'm just loving having the questions come in. If it's a big enough question, we try and turn it into a topic for the show. I am also giving a shout out to our patrons at patreon.com, and you can be like them and help us out financially month to month at patreon.com slash the Hydean way. And otherwise, if you're wanting to help out but can't afford or don't want to give money, you can by letting people know about us at Twitter, Reddit, and Facebook. Thank you, and now on to the show. Looking around, I see that the security guards are stunned again. All right, I think we have this old basilisk droid back where it's supposed to be. This Coruscant Intersystem Museum is the perfect place for it, I guess. I mean, of course the Mandalorians don't want memories of their reckless conquest just sitting around on Mandalore. I agree. This is a perfect place for it. Though, I refuse to take the blame for taking it in the first place. It's not my fault that that Bothan's handwriting was atrocious. How was I supposed to know what they really wanted us to steal? Welcome to A Stomping Tale from the Hydean Way, where your hosts, Risa D. And Ben Yendel. This week we are talking about specializations that require equipment. And this specifically came out of a person on our Discord server called Halo the Panda King, talking about their trials and tribulations as a heavy, because they had 3,000 credits and they needed armor, but they also needed a gun for being a heavy. So they got a really cool blaster pistol. It's a thing. Maybe not the best weapon for a heavy, but heavy. Yeah. The intention of, like, looting the body sort I don't know, going yeah. into more obligation. It was at the character start. Yeah. Then several of us got talking about how, yeah, being a heavy is actually a pretty hard specialization to start off with at character creation style equipment. Because... To be a heavy, you almost need something with auto fire in it to get the full effect of being a heavy. Sure, you can grow into it, but it's kind of cooler to just sort of have the weapon from the start. And all of those weapons are expensive. Yeah, extremely. <laughs> and also heavy. They're almost all with cumbersome. Yeah, pretty much. Like even a heavy blaster rifle, which does have auto fire, it's cumbersome three and costs 1,500 credits. Yeah. That's probably the lowest, that's probably the first rung that a heavy can take. Which also means that if you're starting out, like, just base starting, not doing night level or anything like that, you're spending 5 XP on it. Technically, you're spending 5 obligation on it, but that obligation could go into XP. And in character creation, that could be the difference between one attribute going up or not. A.K.A. it's expensive. Very. But the heavy's not the only one. No. I mean, if you just think about... Jedi Force user characters alone with the <laughs> entirety of lightsabers and how much lightsabers cost to make and cost to upkeep. Like if you want to mod them or anything like that, that kind of stuff is oh, yeah. really expensive. Yeah, that gets expensive so quick. It does. It really does. That's just like lightsabers, right? That's not mm-hmm. even when you get into things that are necessary for <laughs> specializations. Like, lightsabers oh, yeah. are fun, but you can play a Force user without without a lightsaber. Wait, you can? Huh. I mean, you can. I have for a good <laughs> a part of, uh, you know. <laughs> Actually, we did have someone who had 
she found a lightsaber and she never used it. She preferred to use, <laughs> she preferred to use her sword cane instead. And I was like, you know like what? That. You do you. Yeah. But there are specializations like the doctor where if you don't Ooh, have yeah. a med pack, you are making everything harder on yourself. Like literally you are mm-hmm. making all of your checks harder. So you have to spend that money on a med pack or on refilling things, like buying more sim packs and stuff like that. Yeah. It just becomes a bit of a credit sink in that way. If you have things in your med pack, like supposedly, you know, you're like, okay, there's always a certain amount of things in this med pack just because that's, you know, it's the med pack of holding. <laughs> But if your GM does things like I do or like my last GM did and use things like threats to say, now you're down to your last impact, stuff like that now or or uh, despairs to do that kind Mm. of thing. I think that was what we used a despair to say you're out of impacts now. That's That's your last impact, right? Yep. Now you have to only do medical checks or go buy more, you know, that kind of thing. Also. What are they called? Not droid specialists. Droid technicians. Yep. They are huge credit sinks. Ooh, yeah. If you want to do anything like that, start building your own droids or anything like that, that costs a lot. Yeah, it really, really does. Even if you've got monotask droids, you still have to buy them all, which you're still talking a few hundred credits per. Yeah. And like that doesn't sound like much, but this is for a monotask droid. They have ones for attributes, and they're a minging group. Yep. So you have to build two of them before they even get a proficiency die. They really are pretty useless. Like, they're pit droids. Pretty much. <laughs> yes, you can build them on better chassis and that sort of stuff, but eh. even building them to an astromech, that, then that gets really expensive. That's in oh, the thousands. Yeah. yeah, it is. Any kind of droid parts, then, are also going to cost you money. Yep. Like, And even attempting to do anything can cost money. So any kind of mods or anything can cost money if you're looking at the way you're actually supposed to do it, which, you know, house rules. (laughs) We may have made it a little easier in the past because, you know, sometimes it's just like we want to be like, okay, what if we salvage parts, right, from something else? And it's like, yeah, but the check says you have to, if you want to do something, it's going to cost (laughs) this much, this many credits. Yeah. But what if? <laughs> but what if we scrounge that? Yeah. What if we convince the rebels? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, we can take apart this Y-wing that is already broken and can't really be used, <laughs> and then we're going to take that and turn it into parts for everything else. And we're going exactly. to just strip it. Or we can just be like, okay, we'll do this thing for you if you let us have a go at your scrapyard. <laughs> exactly. You know, that kind of uh, thing. Doesn't cost credits, but it normally would. <laughs> You can take 500 credits worth of parts. (laughs) For me, the beauty part is, as a GM, technically there's the thing that falls under, I think in the Edge of the Empire core, it's actually called keeping your players hungry. (laughs) On account of, the ship takes five hull damage. Well, that's supposed to cost a fair chunk of coin to fix. Yeah. Your ship took a crit. Oh my, that, that is pricey. You're wanting to modify something on a ship, that's ten times what it would be for modifying a normal blaster. So ships just turn into these giant money pits. They really do. (sighs) 
Once a ship is in a slip or a dry dock for repairs, each point of hull trauma restored. Point. Like, yeah. get shot by a tie, and this thing is taking eh, three, four, five? Yep. Assuming one success? Each point of hull trauma restored costs roughly 500 credits. Oof. Page 245 of Edge of the Empire Corebook. Yep. I mean, unless you can negotiate with someone, but still, <laughs> if someone else is doing the work for you, it's already going to cost more <laughs> than someone saying 750 per. <laughs> At least. Yeah. And then you get your charmer in there, and then it's a lot less. <laughs> That's the entire reason why, like, the Utini talent is as good as it is, because you yeah. can just start scrounging this stuff. Turn a character loose on Mos Eisley with Utini. I mean, other than being able to converse with the Jawas, probably, you're going to be able to find, like, so much stuff was just sort of laying around. Yeah. And it makes those talents now useful. You could send a outlaw tech to Scrap World, like, I don't know, Ord Mantel, and it just becomes, oh my, there is, <laughs> like, it's a planet of scrap that can be scrounged. Pretty much. Mechanics, just in general, are also money pits. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Because one, the people who are playing mechanics are the people who are like, I want to mod this thing. And they're current, they're constantly going to want to be doing that, so they constantly need the money to be doing it. And modding stuff is not cheap. Oh, it's so expensive. And they also need equipment, because you can't get into things without tools. Yeah. It's like mechanics tools. I, I can't remember the exact name of the item, but it's something like that. It's like toolkit or something like that. Yeah. That's that's exactly what it is. Okay, cool. Toolkit. If you don't have toolkit, it adds like setback or something like that. I can't remember right now. Something like that? That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so you need that kind of equipment to make your character just like playable at the beginning. Otherwise everything is just so difficult for you. Especially as a as a starting character. You're like, ah oh, yeah, I'm gonna just fix this. And it's like, okay, do you have your tools? No. Okay, then you're going to roll. <laughs> and it's some ridiculous thing. And all you have are green dice. And <laughs> Doing it that way, yes, this is a money sinking. Yes, it is one way of keeping players so that they aren't just storing up hundreds of thousands of credits so that they can go off and buy a Krillian Corvette easily. <laughs> so they actually have to work at it. Or steal it. I mean, stealing's kind of working. <laughs> like with so many of these talents or so many of these specializations, there is an equipment requirement to it okay it sounds mildly silly but yeah you've got the heavy you've got the gunslinger they require their weapons the marauder you need a weapon the i don't know i think it's eight now driver types yeah maybe more oh wait no we've got the clone wars books we're up to like nine ten drivers <sighs> that yeah you now need to be able to have a ship yes yeah, some of them you're going to be, be provided by like the rebellion or the republic or the separatists Absolutely, but you also then need all the upkeep, and someone's got to pay for it, and repairing things turns into the nightmare. It's like, okay, yeah, you've got this nice shiny new, I don't know, ARC-170, because I'm thinking Clone Wars, <laughs> and it's been shot up. You've now got to land on the Ventator carrier that you're from, but your squadron has, say... Like, and I could see this for a Starfighter style campaign being your squad now has, after this mission, 20,000 worth of parts laying around. 
you can apply this against any ship, any crit, any ship, but you have to be paying approximately the same amount of price. So you've got this one ship that got shot up and it's to the point of barely being able to make it back to the hangar. Well, now that one could take your entire repair budget. Or it could be fixing all the nicks and scratches on the others. Yeah, this is sort of introducing a bit of bookkeeping to it, but it also, especially on like a Rebel Alliance type campaign, it really starts showing off how equipment is scarce. Yeah. Definitely shows off why the quartermaster and the like trader and the entrepreneur are now much more powerful of characters than you would have ever thought as they go off and negotiate for things. You know what's really interesting, though? Okay. Is all of these characters, characters, all of these specializations, there we go, that require money sinks, right? Yeah. Like the doctor or the gunslinger or the heavy are also really powerful specializations. They are. They are ones that kind of need balance. And so I think that part of what balances them is having to spend that money on them. I can see that. Because if you look at, like, I played the Gunslinger. Okay. It was a really powerful tree. Like, that one is just ridiculous, and I loved it, and it was my favorite thing ever. But I needed two guns to take advantage of it. And I needed two nice guns to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Thoroughly. To kind of, like, offset... A little bit of that. I had to spend the money on it. And then if you think about the heavy, it's just like a really powerful, (laughs) like really powerful if we're talking about it. Oh, It's a good tree. (laughs) Yeah. Once a heavy is up to power, they are disturbing. Yeah. Especially if you get to the signature ability level, then it's just, it actually turns into a really hard thing to balance combat around because then... You're really getting into, like, the destiny pool uh, mechanics and economy instead of just, I'm going to throw 40 stormtroopers at these players because, well, they can handle it. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course they can handle it. They've got the heavy there to take them all out. (laughs) So the fact that the heavy needs the gun and the armor and stuff like that kind of helps offset the fact that it's such a powerful tree in a way. Because it's the same with, like, the... Force characters, but with the force trees, you need XP. Like, you're sinking all of your XP into, like, five million different things, and that's what balances it a bit, (laughs) is that you're having to spend your XP on your skills and your tree and your force powers. So you're really spreading it out so you can't go too quick. By the time a force user is really, really powerful, in theory... They've either been, like, really not powerful, and then they get to, like, three different force ratings in a row, and then they're powerful. Or, more realistically, it's everyone else is pretty powerful as the force user is working up to the force rating or working up to the really cool part of this force talent or that force talent. Yeah. And you get, like, the base level of move or the base enhance, which is, they're good. Don't get me wrong, they're good, but... Are they really as good as, like, getting that, oh, heck, that 5 XP rank of Utini as we're trying to repair the ship? Yeah. Because we crash somewhere. It is one of those things where it's just like, it. I think it, it's, a, it's a bit of a way to balance it. And I kind Absolutely. of think that the things that you have to spend money on might also be a way of balance. Maybe? 
but is it an effective way of balance? Uh, that is a pretty good question. Or does it just feel like, because I know in like my groups, we all just pool our money together. <laughs> Every single time I have played a Star Wars game, I have ended up just having a notebook in front of me where I've been a player. I've had a notebook in front of me, and every single time we get paid for a job, I write down the amount in our group bank account, and I add it up. And that is our group bank account. (laughs) And we take money out for when someone needs something, and we put more in when we get paid again. And we we don't split it up, ever. So it's never like one person is unfairly having to spend money on something. In my experience, even with the player groups that split it up, so you've got... No, let's take the heroes as an example, because they've got five shares. One each for the heroes, and one for the ship. And as you were saying, the mechanic, a.k.a. Cav, spends down immensely. You've got another one like Billy, who just doesn't spend at all, and is sitting on like 3,000 credits. <laughs> so it's like, well, what are we actually doing here? Cav actually needs something, all they really have to do is go and ask Billy. Can you spot me some credits? And then we see Billy start running Cavatap. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Just like Billy's already started running Vernitap. Like, even in that, it is kind of split up, but there's also the we're playing a role-playing game bit and everyone pulls resources. Yeah. I know that some peop- some tables might not do that as much. Probably there are some players who are probably, well, these are my credits, so my character wouldn't <laughs> share them. It's always going to be on the character, obviously. True, true enough. I just know that in all of my games, we're all just like, yeah, uh-huh, and then this is the party's money. This is, there's just no question about it. It's just going to go in the party fund. Absolutely. <laughs> then it just doesn't feel as much like it's offsetting someone. Like, one time, one of our players bought power armor. <laughs> I don't remember what his, what specialization he had. I would think it would be a heavy but currently, I can't remember. I keep forgetting that's a thing. Yeah, no, that was a very, very lucky check that got him <laughs> that, where he was able to find that incredibly rare restricted item. But he got that power armor and then proceeded to roll blank dice every time he wore it. Oh, it was amazing. That does sound so. But he, just the party was just like, yeah, we'll buy you some power armor, man. <laughs> Because of course, why not? Because what? Well, because you're our like you're our bodyguard. Basically, it's in our best interest to give you power armor. Exactly, it's in our best interest to give the mechanic money to repair the ship. Exactly. Or when I was the pilot, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, we'll give you money to get better stuff for the ship, stuff like that. Yeah. That's where I feel like if you do want to balance out the specializations, I feel like the XP. Sync is a much better option because party members can't share XP. And that definitely does make the force user more in line in a mixed style group, like say in a, well, I kind of want to go with a uh, rebel style. Yeah. Yeah, where you've got like two force users, but also you've got a heavy, you've got a gunslinger, and you've got a pilot, and you've got whatever the heck chopper is. Because <laughs> chopper is disturbing. <laughs> a grumpy old man. Yeah, pretty much. Put find that tree. <laughs> and not enforcing destiny. No. <laughs> like drill sergeant kind of works, but anyway. 
I guess you'd call him a mechanic, but eh, you know. Kind of, I guess. Or a scout, something like that. Something. Looking at this, looking at how expensive things are, sort of models how the different stages of a adventure or campaign is. We start off and we're needing equipment. Like, okay, yeah, sure, the doctor has their medical bag, but that's all they've got. They don't have the money or the experience or obligation or duty or whatever to spend on getting anything else. They've just got enough money to get that med pack. Or they've just got enough money to get that toolkit and that backpack so that you've got a mechanic that's useful (laughs) away from the ship because it takes all of their encumbrance. You've got the pilot who has to have a ship, which, okay, that way we can go places, but still. You're taking, like, obligation for it because I'll lay bets in an edge game. There's going to be at least one character who has obligation for that ship. Yeah. If not more, in which case it gets weird. Yes, I've paid off my obligation, but you haven't paid off yours for this ship. What? (laughs) What do you mean we were both paying for the ship? (laughs) And now, new obligation. Revenge. (laughs) Where it just bugs you enough to cause you enough to lose strain threshold. It's like, dang it. We were scammed. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, starting off, the base thing is we're trying to get through all this on our wits and our luck and try and get the equipment. If we're edge and we need to give that heavy a heavy blaster rifle or a light repeating blaster rifle, well then how the heck are we going to do that? Because we didn't start off that way. They put all their experience into agility and bronze so that they can carry things around. Now we actually need something for them to carry around. <laughs> One of the first jobs is like, okay, well, do we knock over a enforcer for Jabba or something? <laughs> we have an obligation for Black Sun. We know that on this planet, Black Sun and the Huts are not getting along. Can we try and pay down some of our obligation by taking out a Hut patrol and <laughs> thus have a happy added benefit of getting a light repeating rifle? <laughs> yeah, I've got players who would absolutely do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm needing a Starship toolkit because the old toolkit that I've got isn't big enough for it. It doesn't have the right parts to it. The Starship's metric and all I've got is these Imperial tools. So now it comes, well, we can take a job and try and do it and get paid for it and thus pay for the tools. Or how do we do that otherwise? And that's sort of the first goal. It's like, how do we get the cool blasters for the gunslinger? How do we get the ship to the point where the driver or the pilot is really happy with it. You know, make it so that there's not negative handling. (laughs) How do we get them so that they're trained and skilled jockey? Yeah. (laughs) That's the best one. Really is. Celestins are amazing. Or say they are force users. How do we get, like, a starting plus zero XP campaign, the very first thing that you can start going towards is, well, how are these player characters going to get their kyber crystals. Are they going to get their kyber crystals? How are they going to get the other parts to make a lightsaber? Exactly. That stuff's expensive. (laughs) Yep, it is. And it's difficult for them to make. (sighs) Yep, and that's the reason why I like getting characters to actually craft their lightsabers. Yeah. Oh, sure, they can use force rating for it, but eh, that helps, I guess. It's easier to craft it yourself than for someone else to craft it for you. Oh, by far. So, 
you know, don't just try and hand it to your mechanic. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. That sounds like experience. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> That's just one of those things. And I think as the GM then, it's our job to try to shape the campaign in a way that at the beginning to start helping our players. Because if our players are like, I want to play a heavy, but they don't have the money, they don't have the credits, they don't have the XP to start getting that kind of stuff going, then I feel like we can start giving them things, right? We can be like giving them opportunities to find those items, giving them opportunities to buy the items, stuff like that on the job, make the money to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Find the pet. Exactly. Pathfinder's hard. Yeah. I think that becomes our job then, especially if they've taken something that really does end up becoming a sink and no one else has that kind of sink. Like, say everyone else has taken, like, a charmer and a scoundrel and, I don't know, some other thing that doesn't take very much money. And then the other person takes a heavy. And then everyone else is just kind of like, you know, not paying attention to the credit bits. I think then as the GM, it's our job to try to help the heavy out a little bit. I absolutely agree with you. The heavy's going to know that, hey, I need a better gun. The gunslinger knows, hey, I need to get better guns here. These two light blaster pistols just aren't cutting (laughs) it. No, they're not getting past anyone's armor. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, they're going to be agitating for it, but then we as GMs can provide side quests. And that's the big thing is as you identify needs for the playgroup, you can provide a side quest for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, the same like if you have a force user in your group that every once in a while you provide a force quest. Force quest. That's that's how I'm going to put it. Force quest. A force-related quest, right? Yeah. Not every single session, but every couple sessions, maybe. Same thing should happen for all of your players. If you have a gunslinger, then you should have something for them to do. You know, something that helps them out. If you have a doctor, then it's a great thing to do if you don't have anything else planned, is to be like, ah, they go somewhere where their expertise is sorely needed. The other doctor that's here has disappeared and now our doctor's needed, and if they do these things, maybe they'll get supplies. Something like that. Um, yeah. Make the doctor feel useful again. <laughs> I've been out here with all these outlaws, but now now I'm doing something where people need me again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. As opposed to going into, like, boxing rings. Oh, yeah, you know. In general, that's a good situation. Having a couple side quests for your players to get caught upon for like a session or two it's like oh yeah we're on the wheel and we find that on the lower decks there's a pod race circuit that the pilot can get in on yeah and start doing pod racing because honestly that just sounds cool it does especially contained inside a space station kind of pod racing sounds dangerous hence the reason why it sounds cool at least for (laughs) piloting it's like yeah oh yeah Two despairs. Well, yeah, you just plastered into the side of the tube that it's in. I guess Freemaker Adventures. 
little hooks that the players can go off and do and thus get, if they're needing experience, they can go off and get some experience that also, okay, their Force users somehow is playing on their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And trying to exercise that. Or you've got a side quest of, instead of settling this in a boxing rink, we're going to settle this on a a desert table. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of in a boxing match, we're going to settle at a desert table. Because why not? Where you can mutate some of the objectives that the players have to go through, but then also just sort of find kind of cool character moments that don't seem to be major for the plot, but allow the characters to grow. Yeah. And it also makes everyone feel good if they get a special moment for their character. Exactly. Especially if you feel like, like this happens at tables a lot, (laughs) is that someone at the table feels like they're the main character. Mm Mm-hmm. And other people are, end up being relegated to side characters. And if you feel like that's happening at your table, spend time pulling in the people who have been relegated to side character and make them feel like they are also main characters. Because everyone at the table is a main character in this game. And you need to give them the time to feel that way. Absolutely. Give them a session that's about their character. And get them something cool out of it. Just, you know, my little advice. Not everyone's table is going to have that happen, but a lot of tables do. It's a common problem. I don't know why, but I'm just sort of thinking of a common Bioware example. (laughs) Well, it's kind of conflating the secondary character part with player characters, but eh, it's a thing. But the loyalty missions work as a general model, where in, I think of the Maths Effect 2 ones, because do the loyalty mission, they survive the end. Weird thing. Yeah, you go off on this half-hour, 45-minute adventure and learn something about this crew member. I'm going to go off and learn about Morden. I'm going to go off and learn about uh, Miranda. Any of those, and you're able to learn more about them. And in the net effect is, in like Mass Effect 2, they're able to now access more of their experience tree. Whereas in this case... Okay, now we're getting a cool gun for your heavy. We're getting a modification so your pilot's ship can go faster. Because who doesn't want faster? Or it's got like more armor on it so they can ram things. Because that sounds cool. Actually, it does kind of. Another way of explaining it is like, I'm just going to go back to Rebels because we already talked about Rebels. Okay. Is there episodes of Rebels like that focus specifically on like Zeb, right? Or there's a, yep. there are specific episodes that that are just about Hera or just about Sabine, but it'll just be about one of them instead of it being about Ezra, because you get this. It's it's like a the show itself is really an ensemble show, and that's how your game should be. It should be an ensemble game, but sometimes the show can feel a bit more like oh this is the Ezra show, but then they'll take episodes to be about Zeb and about learning about his people or. It'll be about Hera and about learning about her family and stuff like that. And that's the kind of thing you need to do for your players. And at the end, they'll get something cool from it, like an item or, you know, a little extra XP, or they'll get to not have as much obligation or something like that. Obligation is a great way of deciding when you're going to do it, because if you roll someone's obligation, then you're just like, oh, okay, this is going to be a you episode. You can have a couple points on the grand adventure. Mm Mm-hmm three or four, so that 
if the obligation is rolled, you can do the first point. And then the second time it's rolled, you can do the second point. Or maybe by the time the second point's done, the players are not wanting to do the entire side adventure. Yeah, exactly. But that's a great way of doing it, especially if you're feeling like you want to make things more equal. You want to give everyone equal amount of playtime and give certain people more like items and stuff, equipment. You want to give them a chance to get that kind of stuff. I think that's a good just uh, strategy as a GM to keep in mind. Absolutely. But to just ask, so you were talking about specializations that don't really require money. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking of it, or at least attempting to think on it, there are very few that I can think of that truly don't require money. The hermit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that. That's the one. <laughs> Like, really? Like, the charmer and that sort of stuff, I can also go with, like, uh, the fringer doesn't really Mm -hmm. need much. The scout doesn't exactly, or, like, the trader kind of brings in money, sort of. But they're still fairly few and far between. Because, like, you've got the bounty hunter. The entire specialization requires money. The mechanics require money. So that, and the hired guns, even if you're a enforcer or a heavy, generally still require money. Yeah. I mean, because you need, you need the equipment. You need yeah. at least a gun, right? Like, there are very few things where you don't need that. And I say things like the hermit or the charmer. Those are really, like, you don't need anything for those. No, exactly. Like, you need clothes, we hope. Yeah, but, you know, not expensive ones. Because hopefully exactly. no one will be shooting at you. <laughs> if rolls go well enough as a charmer, no one's shooting at you. <laughs> well enough for the player, yes. Yeah. Then you get into the specializations, which just cost a boatload of XP to get into. Say I'm wanting to take a Padawan Survivor. Well, that costs a lot. Yeah. On account of you have to spend just to get into the specialization. So, Risa, do you have a final thought for our listeners about how to deal with player characters that are needing things along the lines of XP or large credit outlays? Like, say their ship is well and truly broken and they need thousands to repair it? I think as GMs, it's our job to create the adventure to suit the needs of the party. So if a player or even the entire party needs money or needs experience to do the things they want to do, it's our job to provide it. If someone comes to you and they say, hey, I took the heavy, but I'm not getting enough credits to actually do what I need to do to make this fun to play, then take some time to go, okay, what can I do? What can I plan? What kind of adventure can they go on where this can happen? And just be kind of proactive about it, I think is the best thing to do. And you? I'm really just reiterating a lot of the stuff that we said earlier. Turn the needs of the party into side quests and allow them to explore and grow from that. So need a large blaster rifle? Okay, well, then this turns into a side quest of maybe you're doing something for this pawn shop dealer that the pawn shop got ripped off and as the reward for it, here is this nice Clone Wars era, perfectly preserved heavy rifle or something along that lines. Like making it about more than money, making it about more than just XP, turning it into that narrative hook allows for a much deeper game. That's always my goal at the table, is to trying to turn it into a much more 
interesting game by making it less about mechanics and more about how does the story inform the mechanics. Back in place and ready to escape. You with me, Ben? Wait, what's this? Is this a legit Dragon Eye Reaper? I need it. We're taking it. Uh, these museums really should lock down their pallet checks. Okay, I've got a matte set of five Mandalorian jetpacks here, rated for space, in the original crates. Though they've got this weird dark sword logo on it, it's really weird for Mandalorians. Anyway, whatever. Join us next time on a gale venting tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. You can find me at Cookie Kit. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by reading, reviewing, and subscribing. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Heidi and Way.